actors who can claim to have had major success in multiple decades in film, television, theatre and have written several successful books. Ian Ogilvie is one of those people. I was fortunate to speak with Ian recently, predominantly about his memoir, but also about his other books and his memories of working in film, television and theatre. We covered so much ground and Ian had so much insight. It was a fascinating listen. I didn't even get a chance to cover Morecambe and Wise, the two Ronnies, upstairs, downstairs, I, Claudius, but we did touch on Return of the Saint and some of his memories of working on that. I really enjoyed my chat with Ian and I hope you do too. Ian, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. The reason why I wanted to invite you on is because obviously I know you for your acting um, no surprises, but Return of the Saint was a big one that obviously I saw and then moved on to your movies. So you're in a lot of television, but I didn't realise how many books that you had out and I read your memoir recently and it was brilliant. Was it something that you always thought that you would write at some point or did it actually take you by surprise how it came about? Oh, well, thank you for saying it was brilliant. That was very kind of you. Um <laughs> I t- yes, well, I'd written a number of novels and I'd written a series of children's books and I was thinking of a of a new book to write and I couldn't think of a plot. And then I suddenly thought, well, I know one that, that already has a plot, already written. And and so in a way, it was the easy one to write. Um, and I also thought, you know, it's always nice to leave something for your family. Not that they ever read it, your family. They put it on a bookshelf and, and, and forget all about it. <laughs> uh, I thought it'd be nice to write something down for anybody who in the family who might be interested, you know. I mean, my aunt did that, and her book wasn't published, but it's a lovely thing to have, and I think everybody should do it. You should do it. Everybody should do it. It's a lovely thing just to write stuff, that interesting things that happen to you in your life, you know. When you say that, that makes a lot of sense, because I've read quite often that actors and actresses, they do write a memoir, and then they don't release it. Do you think it's because they get cold feet? I, I think sometimes, to be honest with you, publishers don't particularly want it. I mean, uh, um, I, I got very lucky because uh, my book is published by um, Constable, which is an offshoot of Little Brown, which is a very, very big you know, publishing firm. And I didn't expect this because when I sat down and wrote this and I sent it to my literary agent in London and I said to my literary agent, look, I, I know I'm kind of old and rather after my sell-by date, you know, I'm no longer the big sort of, I'm no longer the, the star I used to be. And a lot of people don't know who I am. The young have no idea who I am. I'm surprised, Elaine, that you say you like the saint. You're far too young to have watched the saint. Anyway, mm-hmm. um, my agent then said, yes, he said, I probably might be able to place this with a little tiny little independent publishing company, but I agree with you. It might be difficult to place this. And he phoned me a week later and said, well, good news. I've got you with a fabulous uh, publisher. And... Um, then I, I asked the publisher himself, the man who I dealt with, why did you take my book? And he said, well, because it's just a good book, <laughs> which was the nicest thing anybody could say to you, you know, but regardless of whether anybody knows who you are, the fact that he thought it was a good book. So I was uh, very happy with that reason. I think a lot more people know who you are of different ages than you think. You pop up a lot on the television here. And, <laughs> and I'm not just saying this because I've said it to other actors I've been fortunate enough to speak to. You're one of those names that when you see your name attached to something, you think, I'll give that a watch. I'll watch that. Oh, Even well, if, that's nice. For instance, I am not into horror. Horror terrifies me like to the point where once when I was 12 years old, I was staying at my friend's house and her mum popped her head around the door and she said, the omen starts in 10 minutes. I'll give you five pounds each if you watch it with me. <laughs> it, was, it was not worth it. <laughs> not worth it. But no. again, because of your book, it was excellent knowing that YouTube is there because I would read a chapter and I think, right, I've not watched that. I'm going to see if it's on YouTube. Sky Q over here is brilliant because all you need to do is say a name into the control and then I could see what came up. I got to see Witchfinder General, which I would never have watched before. I really, really enjoyed it. And do you know what surprised me? Even though it comes under the horror genre, I found it really emotional. Especially- yes, I don't think it's a horror film. I mean, I really don't. I mean, I think it's a very violent and sometimes unpleasant film and difficult to watch it occasionally. But I don't think it's a horror movie at all, really. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. And coming from the makeup artist's point of view, and I've said this again before, it was those, the, it was the 50s, the 60s, the 70s. 
I found that people were trailblazing and that made me really engage with, I knew I didn't want to be an actor, but I knew that I wanted to be involved in the creative process and watching how you all created things quite often on a shoestring, but you got an excellent result. And we yeah. might laugh now because we've got all the different things that we can do, all our little effects, but what you all created really inspired me. And I was like, I want to get into this industry. I want to be part of a team. And when I watch these movies too, I'm looking at the makeup, I'm looking at the effects and I can understand why so many people do think they look back and they think that's actually genius what you created. So thank you for that. Because again, we all look at those. I'm not going to lie though. Things like Dennis and Dallas, Dallas too. I couldn't wait when I saw they were troweling the makeup on there. <laughs> I cannot wait to get into this industry and just absolutely have so much fun. Yes. And talking about makeup though, see when you're in the makeup chair, do you enjoy that or do you find it, do you tolerate it? Do you relax into it? Does it help you get prepared? It's very restful. I find it. I like it. Yes. Um, interestingly, some of the more recent things I've done, they don't even bother with makeup anymore. Not for men. Uh, a lot of the time, you know, particularly when, when you're kind of ancient, you know, they don't, they just let it be. But no, I've always enjoyed the makeup sessions so long, but you see, I've never had to sit there for six hours with a monster makeup or anything like that. The longest I ever had to do, I think, was I was an alien in a show called Babylon 5. Uh, and I was an alien, and I just had a very ridiculous hairdo in that and some strange eyebrows, but I never had to put on those multiple, you know, mask things. And so uh, I suspect that could be a little wearing, and every day I think that. Do you do that sort of stuff, Elaine? I trained in it, but I can't, I honestly couldn't say I'd be any good at it. I think yeah. you have to do your training in everything and then you focus on what you really enjoy. And right. I ended up, so I've only been doing it 20 years and it's not, I don't do masses of film and television, advertising more than anything and a lot right. of photographic. Commercial I work when, when World War Z was touring around the world doing all of the filming, they did two weeks in Glasgow. So I was part of the crew. Right. That was fascinating because that was probably the biggest budget movie that I'd ever been involved in. Oh. And the funny thing was Brad Pitt was on the set, but obviously he had his own makeup artist, right. but quite a lot, the big team, 20 odd makeup artists, his stunt double was there. And so many of them took a picture with his double and yeah. claimed it was Brad. And they got <laughs> away with it. <laughs> they got away with it. My daughter-in-law is a makeup artist. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. And again, yeah. does she find that she's got a genre that she focuses on? Not really. I mean, you're right. She does a lot of commercials and, and, and photo shoots and things like that. And it's lovely when she gets onto a show or a series or something like that. But uh, yes, I mean, it, she comes and goes, does, you know, almost she'll do anything really, as long as it yeah. means putting makeup on people's faces. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, oh. I think I know exactly where she's coming from. And I have to say as well, I've got the book here. Can I just say that, Chapter one is probably the best chapter of any <laughs> memoir I've ever read. It's honest. It's funny. I think your dad is a legend. Yes, he is a bit of a legend, isn't he? I mean, I mean, can you imagine? Uh, because <laughs> my age alone nowadays really would be very... It was a very French thing to do, you know, back then. Um, uh, not not uncommon in the, uh, back then, but 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 I I tell people this story sometimes, and they get terribly shocked by it. It, it. And I suppose it is shocking in a sense, but I don't know. I didn't feel shocked, and I didn't feel in any way that I had been abused or or maltreated. In fact, I felt exactly the opposite, as you can tell from my book. Who did your favor? It's a fast track, you. <laughs> yes. From what I read about the family, it just seems like he was the perfect, you know, when someone says, again, it was the perfect dad for you and the perfect mum for you. When I read the book, I think that's the, the perfect parents for you. You can tell that they both guided you in the ways that you needed to be to get to where you are. Thank you. I, 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 yes, I'm... <laughs> My father was was absent much of the time, only only because he would leave before. I mean, we went. My sister and I went to boarding school. I from a very early age, so that's two thirds of the year where you don't see your parents at all. The remaining one third of the year, my father would get up in the morning before I was awake, and he would return after I'd gone to bed. So he was a weekend father, not because of any you know neglect on his part. It's just the way it worked out. So I didn't know him as well as some people know that fathers 
Yeah. You know, he was a bit of a stranger in some respects. I got to know him much better when I was like 18, 19, something like that. And I was going to RADA, to the, to the drama school. And uh, um, uh, that's all of a sudden when I got to know him. Also, I, I, he, was, he was more, he was good with children, but he was better with older children, you know? Yeah, I get that. And again, I think that that's not always a bad thing. I think... Like I say, you just adapt to your situation, don't you? Mm -hmm. And another thing that was fascinating, I had no idea, and I've actually got the book here. We've had this book for years. I had no idea that your uncle was David Ogilvy. When yeah. documentaries have been on through the years, I love advertising. I had no mm -hmm. idea. I didn't put two and two together at all. Yeah, well, why would you, you know? Yeah. But then when you think about it, when I was reading the book, I was like, why didn't I even think about that? But yeah. again... That must have made for some fascinating family get-togethers. Um, he seems yes. like he was such a yes. clever man. Yeah, I mean, uh, I used to go and stay with my uncle. He had a chateau in France. Um, uh, and I used to go, and my, my then wife and I and my little children would go every summer pretty much and go and stay there for like a week or a week and a half. It was lovely. He was, a, he was an extraordinary man. Um, uh, much, much younger than my dad. I was like 12 year difference or something like that. Um, and he very much looked up to my father, who actually started him in the business of advertising. And David eclipsed my dad. I, he was the one who became the megastar. But then my father was a different kind of man. David, they used to say about David Ogilvy, the best thing he promoted or advertised was himself. <laughs> um, um, my father was exactly the opposite. He was, you know, let the product go forward and all that. Um, so they were different, but uh, they were very fond of each other, yeah. And again, there was a little bit in the book where he sort of um, jokingly says to you when he finds out that you're doing an advert, mm. it doesn't believe in celebrities doing adverts. Right. Yes. Um, but did you actually do a lot over the course of your career or, again, did they just sort of come and go? No, very few, very few. I didn't do any until after my name was known. Uh, not because of choice. I, I just wasn't offered any. And I wasn't, having come from advertising, I wasn't very interested in doing commercials. I didn't go up for them. Yeah. But once, after The Saint, which may be quite well known, I got offered a lot of money to do a commercial. And I didn't have to do very much. I mean, there was one commercial I did, which I can't remember what it was for. But they flew me to, it's actually, that's the one I'm talking about with my uncle in the book, where, yeah. I, where I, I, they flew me to Benidorm, and I literally had to do, when my back to camera, and I had to turn and just click my fingers like that. And I think I got £10,000 for that, <laughs> you know, which is ridiculous. And, of course, nowadays, that's tiny money compared to what they get now. But back then, it was a lot of money. And yeah. so I, that's when I started doing commercials. And I did a few. I did some for Nescafe. I did some for Bulgarian wine. I did one or two other things. I did one for a... I think it was for a building society or something. Yeah. It's a good thing about YouTube is I would read a chapter and then I would have a look on YouTube, which I consider to be the world's television channel. And I just yeah. have a look. Can I find it? Found some interesting things, found some rarities, things. Obviously, no one's put them up, but um, I couldn't find any adverts. I was looking for ads, couldn't find any. But there was something. I wondered if um, you remembered it. It was actually... Menace Unseen. Mm. Do you remember that? Mm. It was one of the last things I made before I came to America. Do you know what was really interesting about it is it's got fantastic reviews. People were writing about it and saying that you were excellent in it. But the only thing that seems to exist is the last 11 minutes. So that's all I've seen. And apparently it's a, it's a copyright issue and they don't know who owns the copyright. But mm. what's really interesting is... It fits in so well with today because if you remember, it's all about you're trying to uncover this uh, data harvesting. How fitting for today's world. Right. And this was uh, back in the day when late 80s, when computers were in their infancy and things. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> it was a strange piece, that one. I know. Yeah. Judy Bowker was in it, <clears throat> wasn't she? Pretty, pretty Judy Bowker. And John Sessions, who died. Yeah. Not that long ago. Uh, yeah, it was it was an interesting thing to do with that one. Um, I don't remember much about it, really. But don't you think it's fascinating that there's only that 11 minutes clip and yet there were, not maybe not hundreds, but there were certainly at least 100 comments and people were saying, I remember this. Why has it never been shown? Enoch was right. born. When did you when did you look? Today. 
day. You know, there was there, there were quite a lot of bits of it because oh, really? I did the same as you, and I I found quite a lot of <clears throat> quite a lot of sections. But but if they've gone now, then they've been taken down by somebody. Yeah, yeah. I need to have more of a look. But there you go. That tells you something when people yeah. are saying we need to see more. Where is it? And then I know that often happens that if they can't work out where the rights are, that's the end of right. that. Right, right, right. But right. yeah, that was an interesting one. And then I also enjoyed. I know it came after the book, but the films from recent years, um, Renegades, watch that. And that leads quite nicely into a sequel. But again, do you just have to wait and see? Wait and see. Yeah. I'm just an employed actor there. I mean, I'm friends with uh, with Jonathan Sothcott, the producer, <clears throat> and his wife, uh, Janine. And uh, they're lovely. And uh, Jonathan is one of those people, he, and he works on very, very, very small, tight budgets. And he calls in favours. And it's... Uh, uh, um, but he's one of the few producers around who, when they say we're going to do a movie, you kind of believe him because he does. You know? And I've done three for him now. And um, they're all great fun. They're shot really fast, really fast, on a shoestring. Um, uh, but but they some of them turn out pretty well, you know. And, uh, and yeah. And they, he gets interesting people. You know? I mean, to get yeah. Lee Majors out of off his ranch in Colorado or Arizona, wherever he lives, is quite a feat, I think. You know? Yeah. And I don't want to spoil anything in case anyone's not seen it, but someone comes in at the end and I was like, oh. Oh, yes, yes. Oh, yeah, he, he'll get people to come in and do like a day, you know, oh. and it's, it's a lot of fun, really. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, really enjoyed that. The one, I, the one of his that I did, with the first one is the one I think I'm happiest with, which is the one called uh, We Still Kill the Old Way. Yeah, that was uh, Which I think is, I think is, uh, it's my favourite of the three I've done with him. And you did a good accent in that too. Because I think, I don't know, because obviously you are British, but see, when you've been away for a while, do you think when you come back, that's when everyone says, oh, you started saying that differently, that I see the American coming in, doesn't sound yeah. it to me, but do other people... I think it depends on, on the word, you know, I have to think about saying things like address, not address. Mm. I have to think about that, because now in America, I, I do say it like the Americans say it, because I've been here for 30-something years, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, since 1989, I can't work out the math, but it's a it's about it's a fair time, you know, and um, but of course the Americans, I still sound utterly British, and and I that's fine as far as I'm concerned. I think I am, much, I'm an expat. It's funny some people go for their holiday and they come back and they've got a new accent. I think you've characterised yeah. it. <laughs> but also in the book, um, when you've been filming from again when you started, you filmed everywhere. And I really, I felt for you when you were talking about Italy and I could relate when you are somewhere and you've done your filming for the day and then you're like, what now? What's yeah. Now? Right. And you're just sort of uh, trying to figure out, like, walking the streets, what to do. I think we've it's all a minor hardship, Elaine, isn't it? It's a minor hardship. It's, it's very much <laughs> a first world problem. Violence. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it can be one of those things. I've said this to friends when you work on a production or anything like that it's not hard work as in manual labor but it is it's tiring it, it's, yeah. it can be mentally draining and the days can be very long and sometimes yeah. it can get very tense when they're not getting what they want or they can't they thought they had access to somewhere and they don't and it becomes a big drama and it can really take it out of you at the end of the day when you're just like, oh, yeah. that was a tough one. But again, it's not like a 14-hour shift somewhere, but it's no. tiring in its own way. It can be mentally tiring, too. I mean, I, I, when I first came to the States, I got myself into a soap opera. It wasn't, it didn't last very long, but it was called Generations. And, you know, people think that in soap operas you have cue cards, people holding up your lines for you on big cardboard. No, they don't. And the and you have to do an enormous amount of work in a day. And if you've got a heavy load, you've got to commit to memory the night before, pages and pages and pages of, of dialogue, and uh, and keep it. Now you don't have to remember it longer than than the end of the scene. Once the scene's over, you can, it goes. You, you can forget about it. But but the sheer volume of words you have to try and commit to memory can be really exhausting, particularly in a soap opera. Yeah, in a movie it's not so bad. It's all broken up into little bits. But in a soap mm -hmm. opera, they shoot whole scenes, you know, without cutting. 
and so you have to you have to be fairly good with the memorizing you know and that's the thing if that must be that that training that muscle might be just in peak condition for you because I can imagine if anyone asked me to memorize anything I can just about do my pin number and that's (laughs) it Numbers, but I agree. Numbers, I can't do numbers. My wife has got a phone number. I've asked her 150 times what the phone I can't remember what it is. And yeah, uh, can you remember yeah. your phone number from check? I can remember my grand's phone number and she died right. in 1988. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can't remember. If you ask me to learn a bulk of it, I just won't be able to do it any script because it's just not something that I've trained in. So no. It's like, it's like, you know, theatre training gets your muscle working for that. Yeah. You know, you can commit Hamlet or Macbeth to memory then, you know. I remember, I mean, I think of all those old actors back in the Victorian period, where in the early 1900s, when they went on tour, the great actor managers, and they would take a Shakespeare company on tour, and they would play Richard III, Macbeth, King Lear, Othello, and Hamlet, and they had all those parts in their heads. I mean, it's quite extraordinary a feat of memory that is, and to do a different one every night. You know, but that's else. like rep. I, I love again. I've read yeah. a lot of memoirs, and it seems so sad that rep isn't a thing now because it really does seem. I think it would be fun for the audience. I know I'd, I'd love that to see mm-hmm. something fresh every couple of weeks, mm-hmm. but it does seem like a great training get- ground. But do you think it's just fashions? Do you think that? No, I think it's money. Money. I mean, I mean, all those repertory companies operated uh, on a on a on a tightrope, uh, a financial tightrope. <clears throat> and I remember, you know, I was with a company maybe for six months doing a different play every two weeks. And if they started getting a bit low on funds, they would stick in an Agatha Christie play, because if you put an Agatha Christie play on, you'd fill the theatre. Right. Now they couldn't do that every week, of course, but but there was always, nearly always, an Agatha Christie play in the repertoire during the six months, simply to boost the finances, you know. Um, but I think the reason why they they finally went is because the public tastes changed, television, people find it easier to stay in, not go out. Um, uh, that's why I think, you know. It, it, they just failed, and then there are these empty theatres, and then they, people went, well, they're good for touring, so they became touring theatres. Yeah. You know? At but, least in touring, at least it kept the theatre building, and 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 the people who worked backstage and in the front of the house in the theatre, it kept them employed, and and it kept the building there, and people would go and see. After all, that you could go and see a, a new play every, you can still go into it to these theatres and see a new play every week, can't you? Yeah. It's just not with the same company. That's all. And. The Citizens Theatre here in Glasgow, you hear about the names that came here. Yeah. And again, that just seems now as if... Is that not there anymore, the Citizens Theatre? I think it is still here, but not in the not in the capacity that right. it used to be. It's, I think I might be wrong, but I think it's much more about amateur productions. I might okay. be completely wrong there. But when you think about the history... Somebody will tell you. Yes, I'll get into trouble. <laughs> <laughs> but again, it's... It, it comes down to money, doesn't it? I don't think yeah. people quite often they don't see value in that no. when councils are dishing out money and it's yeah. never that. But well, I, so rep pay was terrible. I mean, my the, my first rep, uh, check in repertoire, which was in the probably in the mid sixties, was uh, I think seven pounds a week I was earning. Now that that wasn't much then. You know. That just cover your expenses. Yeah. And the next one I did, I think it went up to £12 a week. And the last one I was on £16 a week and I was rich. Yeah. I was well off on 16 Well, not rich, but I, I you know, I, I could mm-hmm. afford a whiskey rather than half a bitter, you know. <laughs> so you'd feel rich. Yeah. <laughs> I, th- I think that's, again, it's really, I love listening to that. I love hearing about that because, again, I think we're in danger of losing that. Um, mm. A lot of actors now, they don't talk about coming up and the, the struggles and developing it seems as if you must be launched as a full package now right you have to land on the scene and you're fully formed well it's changed out of all proportion because now what seems to be important is to have a presence on the internet 
to have some kind of uh, of field in which you appear regularly on TikTok or Instagram or one of these things and do things. I, I had a you know I, I used to direct plays at the American Academy of Dramatic Art, and uh, there was a student there who became a friend called Caitlin, who became quite a big star by doing funny stuff on Instagram. Um, she would do irritated housewives or, or, or soccer moms or something like that. And she became quite big and she's now starting now in a, in, a, in a TV series here in America and got herself a nice part and she's got a career. And it seems to me that that's the way to start off these days as young actors is get yourself on, on internet, get yourself on, on those things. And that's how to do it really. And how do you feel about that? Do you dip into it? The irony is I have a YouTube channel, but I don't have Instagram. I don't have any desire to take pictures of myself. I don't even like being on YouTube, really. I don't, I'm not massively comfortable with being on camera, but I started the channel because I was teaching. So right. it's a good way to put the information out there for people that had forgotten. You know, sometimes you do a class and then you go home and you've made notes and your notes don't make any sense to you. So I created some videos so that you could click them in with your notes. Right. I forgot that other people might actually find them. So it started rolling because people were watching the content. And some I think quite a few videos now have had like six or seven million, one of them. That blows my mind yeah. because that was never designed for that. It was just meant to be for the people that might have forgotten their notes. Right, right, right. So, but that's how it started for me. And then it expanded that way. But I still have absolutely no desire to go on to the other platforms and be like, hey, look at what me. sort of what sort of viewership would you expect, for instance, for this so for this video? These go on to YouTube and Spotify. So Spotify, quite often, you can get thousands of views. But again, you just get the feedback from them. Maybe every so often in the year, they'll say, This is how this stream's doing. People like this stream. Then YouTube, you can actually get a slow burn. Um, you might get one that instantly has a lot of views and then it slows down. Or you might get one that didn't really do anything, but then over the course of time, it builds and it builds and it builds. But that's what I like about YouTube. I genuinely see it as an archive and like a massive television channel. It's like the world's biggest TV channel. I, I agree with you. I, I I watch a lot of it. I'm, I'm riveted by... by uh, uh, this man who's converting a narrowboat. I mean, and he puts a new one on every day. So, I look, oh, let, oh, he's just did that six hours ago. Let's watch him scrape the bottom of his narrowboat. I can watch that man scrape the bottom of his narrowboat for hours. I don't know why it's fascinating. It just is. You just get hooked into things. I do that too. And yeah. then they are little devils because then they start recommending things that you'd never have considered. And you think, I'll just watch that. I'll just yeah. watch one more. And before you know it, you're down a rabbit hole. Yeah, so, right. <laughs> I do love it though and again I get to watch things again I was reading the book finish a chapter let's see if I can find this and quite often yeah. I could find little bits and pieces and it's great fun and the yeah. comments can be sometimes in the comments people will say I worked on that mm -hmm. and it, it might be someone again that can add a little bit of information to what right. you're watching right, right. I find that fascinating so yeah. we're both in agreement I like YouTube just not a hundred percent sure sometimes with all the arguments and the back and forth. But I think something like Instagram, I can imagine if you put a picture up, you must get so many people straight away saying, Oh, hi, how are you doing? Oh, I'm from here, I'm from this part of the world, and they just want to let you know that they're connecting with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a bit old school, I'm Facebook. <laughs> Facebook's good too. It's a I bit old school now. It's like it's like people laugh at the fact that I still use AOL as my internet address. And there's, there's, people say nobody uses AOL. I said, well, I, I know, I, I'm okay with it. <laughs> well, that's it. It could be Ask Jeeves. Is that not even older? Yeah, <laughs> because, I, know, I mean, yeah. I yeah. think that was one of the first ones. No, you stick with your AOL if they're still doing it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Until they retire it, you stick with it. <laughs> <laughs> but talking again about books. Um, I finished Loose Chippings. I actually, I read it really quickly because it was so easy to read. I know that it's not a brand new book, but that's a great thing again about books is that you can discover them whenever the time's right, right for you. Did you always have the stories in your head or were you just good at sitting down and thinking, right, create a story, create a narrative, or did you always have ideas milling about? I think, I think my way of writing has always been, uh, or nearly always been, a 
concept or, or premise. Uh, what would happen if an American evangelist came to England and started peddling his form of Christianity here in an English village? Okay, that's the premise. Now, I could start, sit down and write a, start a book, but I have no idea where the book's going. There are those writers who have everything mapped out in their heads. They know exactly where the plot goes, and they sit down and they write. My books take a long time because I have to make it up as I go along, you know, apart from the autobiography, which I knew the plot. You know. Yeah. Um, um, but, yes, I start with a premise. And then see where it goes. Yeah. And again, really enjoyable, very easy to read. Sometimes you don't want a book where you're starting to get confused and you're like, is that the one that did that or did this one? You want to be able to follow the story. So easy to follow. A lot of twists I did not see coming at all. And I didn't guess, I would never have guessed the ending either. <laughs> and I quite liked um, the main characters. I liked the fact that Nanny was Scottish too. I thought that was quite nice. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah, yeah. To that. But again, I would recommend that people, again, seek out these books because they're all selling. They're hard to find. They're, all, they're now on, so it's eBay only, really, I think. Well, you, you would be so surprised. Um, if you go into Google and you type it in, there are so many independent bookshops yeah. And yes, they might be secondhand, but they're excellent quality. But I got it from a place called World of Books, and I would recommend that. Quite often when I'm looking for a rare book, World of Books is where you can get them from. And the great thing is they don't exploit you. You know, sometimes it's rare, so the price is high. Yeah, yeah. Um, I got that really reasonable price. Still hasn't arrived yet. Um, is it Withering Slights? Is that the well, one? Withering Slights. Withering Slights. I cannot wait to read that. I'm still Well, waiting. that's just, you know what that is? That's a book uh -huh. for your loo. You put it in the loo and you just, and you pick it up and you dip into it. It's just, you know, I just started writing silly, unpunctuated stuff about movies that my wife and I would go and see. And, 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 and whether they tickled my funny bone, I would write about them. And then this lovely guy in England I know said, I think there's a book here. So he published it and he did it on his own. I mean, it's a, he's got his own small publishing company, uh -huh. but uh, he put them all together and, and just published them. And they are, it's a dip in book, that one. Yeah. I'll enjoy that though. It sits, on, you... it sits on next to your loo. That's what I. <laughs> I don't want to encourage people to be in too long though. So I'll just no, limit no, no, them no. to a couple, a time, and then out you get. When I was reading about it, I don't know, are you aware of Gogglebox? I thought to myself, is it a little bit, you know, Gogglebox is when people, again, they're, they're just amusingly watching TV and just commentating about it. Is it, again, just amusing sort of thoughts about what you've been watching, just designed? Yes, they're really mostly film reviews. Uh, they're actual film reviews, but but they're only the, of the ones which I thought were funny for all the wrong reasons, you know? I mean, can, I had a field day with Cats, for instance, the movie Cats. Well, everybody had a field day with Cats, didn't they, you know? I had fun with it. I, I mean, if I see a wonderful film, on the whole, I won't write about, about it, simply because I haven't got anything funny to say. Um, if, it, if it just strikes me as being amusing. I mean, there was, there was one film, I can't remember, where I talk about where Arnold Schwarzenegger is battling uh, Miriam Margulies. Well, I mean, th that is an image which is just too funny for words, isn't it, really? And yeah. she loses, for heaven's sake, poor Miriam, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yes, I have fun with it, that's all it is. It's just, a, it's just a, you know, unpunctuated stream of conscious sort of uh, ramblings about movies, yeah. I like that though. I can't wait for it to arrive. And your other novel, I managed to locate that too. So that's coming too. So I'm looking forward to oh, reading. Oh, wonderful. Oh, how great. Yeah. And I'm aware that you've written your children's books too. Yes. And I think I read somewhere that they were so successful that you ended up writing quite a few. There was a, they were a series of five books. Five. Uh, I would have written more, but we ran out of steam, really. Um, yeah, they were they were a series of five. They were the most successful of my uh, literary efforts because they were sold all over the world. We they were sold in about 25, 30 countries, China and and Japan and Korea and Israel and South America and, and Italy and Spain and Norway. And, you know, they were all over. The, I have books. I have reams of foreign books <laughs> in my bookshelves, which they send you. So that was the most successful of my ventures, really, were my children's books. Yeah, yeah. And do you have a different type of pride when you have that success? So you've got your acting success. Does it feel different when it's something you actually authored? Yes, very. Yeah. 
Um, look, a book is something that you've done on your own. You yeah. really have. Unlike, like, if you write a screenplay and it's made into a film, the finished product, yes, of course, you wrote the damn thing, but there's so many people also involved in the making of that. Um, the same with acting. You know, you, you do a job, of an acting job, and you, you're presented on the screen. Well, so much of the work, you've done some of it. You've made me look nice, you know? <laughs> uh, uh, um, but a book really is a solo effort. Yeah. Unless it's Donald Trump, and then somebody else, he gets somebody else to write for him, you know. Yes. Uh, but a book should be, I think, a solo effort. If you if you if you put your name on a book, I don't think anybody else should have written it. Yeah. You know? And that's the nice thing about it. And of course, you do get an editor, and the editor can make suggestions, and they do about improving it and making it a little bit better here, and and that's all wonderful because they know what they're doing. But that's why there's a certain pride about producing a book, which is much bigger for me than, than an acting performance. Yeah. And I would love to know that you're not finished writing books. You mentioned in the memoir that the American story has still to be told. So, Yes, I do. But that's... <laughs> I don't think the American story is interesting. Uh, uh, because I really don't. I, I, and also, I doubt, I doubt I would get it published. You know, in order to be published again for a second half of an autobiography, the first half had to sell really, really well. Now, it didn't do badly. I think it did better than expected, but it hasn't it hasn't hit the bestseller list. It's not like Miriam Margulis's book. When you're a national treasure, your book becomes a national hit. You know, what you have to do then. You just have to tell more incredibly inappropriate stories. Right, right. <laughs> Fart stories, farting stories. Yes, <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> but so I doubt that my a second autobiography would get a, a publisher. But I am working on a book at the moment. Yes, I am. I'm working on something at the moment. Yeah. Good. And I know a lot of people self-publish now. It's it's you yeah. everything yourself now, but I know that's not always the route that you want to take. But I do disagree. I think a lot of us, I know it comes down to the publisher, but I know there's yeah. a lot of us that would love to hear the second part. I think, I think a lot of self-publishing has come about because publishers have become incredibly picky. The mm. world, the book, the, the book world has become harder to make a profit in. So they are very, very, very uh, selective. And I think it's harder and harder to get a book published. I really, really do. And um, I mean, for instance, I've written, I've written, uh, I think, three books two of which were rejected by my own agent. Mm. And one that they said, oh, yes, we'll be able to sell this, no problem. And they couldn't get a publisher for it. Um, so you don't always get what you want. And so self-publishing is, is a route whereby you can actually get your book out. And I think there's nothing wrong with that. The only yeah. problem with it is, is to how do you get a platform for it? How do you get people to know about it? Um, it's not that easy, you know? That's where, just through this weird YouTube journey, you find out all these different platforms. Um, yeah. I know people that subscribe to Patreons and they pay maybe $5 a month. And the people that are writing their books, they will never be published, but they have got thousands of subscribers on Patreon who pay their $5 a month. And then that author releases a chapter a month and they are waiting and they cannot get enough of it. And these people are probably making more than they would ever make with yes. a traditionally published book. And they're yep. doing it through platforms like that. I do think there are lots of different ways now to do it. Yeah. And I think it's very interesting. That oh, could it's... be a conversation for another time because it's fascinating how people have created their own success when yes. they've been told no. And they have got fans and followers in their thousands. And, and that translates into real money, doesn't it? Real money. These yeah. people are making, well, more than $10,000 a month. Mm. And they've been told that their content will never be worthy of being published. And right. they've self but, but they've not self-published the book. They're just doing it on a platform where they release... Real well, I think I think the platform is more, it's just more profitable and it's yeah. easier and it, it requires less effort and I, you know I think it's exactly right and if people are prepared to pay to, to, for this this is wonderful I think I mean my problem is I'm you know I'm I'm trying to catch up all the time with technology you know as you get older it becomes harder to keep up and and quite honestly I'm not bad but I I, I could be a lot better you know and I see the young making these extraordinary amounts of money and things you know and and uh, 
And you go, wow, I, how clever of you. I wish I could do that. And of course, the chances are you probably could if you were helped, but then, you know. Exactly. I think everyone's got that little niche area that people want to know. They either want to read your book, they want to watch your programme. Look at what happened here. I've forgotten the name of the programme, which is really helpful. But the BBC cancelled it. Oh, I wish I could remember what it was. And um, so they cancelled it and everyone was up in arms. And then within about two or three months, Amazon picked it up. Mm, I can't remember yeah. what it was, though. So that's a fascinating story. <laughs> no, 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 no. But but you're right. I mean, that, that can happen. You know, uh-huh. my friend Caitlin, who just doing funny little shots on television, got herself a TV series out of it, you know? Yeah. Well, so so that's happen. the thing. Then That's definitely a conversation for another time. But there's honestly, there are so many different ways now that when the traditional ways aren't working, you're just like, mm. right, we're going this way. It's fascinating. Yeah, yeah, it's it is. It is. I think it's just getting. It's like a snowball, isn't it? You got to, you got to get the thing going. Yes. Once it's going, it's kind of self-perpetuating. I, 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 oh, it can be if it's successful and if you're good at it. But uh, um, it's getting it going. I think is the hard part. Oh, absolutely. And there's <laughs> one more question I wanted to ask about theatre. Um, you know, when you do a two-show day, I, I like a matinee, but do the actors? Is it just an exhausting process going from one straight to the other? Um, it depends really on the role, I think. <laughs> um, yes, yes, it can be. I mean, matinee, well, I did, I've done My Fair Lady, the big musical, you know, I've yeah. done it here three times. And um, Higgins is an enormous part with a lot of very complex songs. And, and doing a matinee of that is a killer. <laughs> I don't know how Rex Harrison, who did it for years on Broadway and in London, you know, he, um, I don't know how he managed it, but yeah, it can be pretty tiring a matinee day, mm. yes, yes. It's a shame about it. Two shows a day. It's Gerald de Maurier, the old actor, that, you know, Daphne de Maurier, the writer, yeah. uh, her father, Gerald de Maurier, was a famous matinee idol in the uh, early 1900s. And apparently it's his fault, matinees. He decided it'd be a good idea to do an afternoon show. <laughs> well, he was making all the money, so but most of the time, actors pretty much hate matinees. Yeah, mm-hmm. I like matinees as an audience member. Yeah, great. Yes. I don't have to. I love it up. too. Yeah. And then when you go home, this is what I do though. Um, I've worked in theatre a tiny bit. I just did. Um, it was Scottish opera that I worked on, and again, I saw how hard they worked. But if I watch a matinee when I'm at home, I'll look at the clock and I'll go seven o'clock. They'll be going on again now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like. 8.30, they'll be on another yes. interval. And pantomime, uh, I, 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 panto, that's two shows or sometimes three shows a day. Uh, All right, it's a limited number of, of performances you're doing, but that must be tough, I think. Yeah, and I don't know if you're aware that the Palladium pantomime's been back up and running for the last few years, and it is amazing. And mm-hmm. um, the amount of money that they must be spending on that. Yeah. So I've been a few times, and... Oh, what a show. Is that something that you could be tempted with? Because they always look for a star name, but again, that's quite a, that's a graft. I, I mean, I, I mean, I've done a panto years ago when I was a kid you know, in rep. I, I was the genie of the lamp in Aladdin. Yeah. I made the terrible mistake of painting my face bright green <laughs> with, uh, with pancake makeup, that old pancake, that flat <laughs> pancake makeup. And, uh, for months afterwards, people would come up to you and say, are you all right? Are you quite well? Because it sink, it would sink into the skin and I had a kind of greyish look for about six months. Yeah. <laughs> a green tinge. Green, oh. A green genie, yeah. yeah. You would have been good for Shrek when that was here. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Maybe the stuff's better now, but, you know, you know makeup. But yeah, I mean, I don't. So this was just literally water and a sponge and pancake, you know. Yeah. Well, you mentioned in the book about your training. I never know how to pronounce it because even when we trained, we use it. Is it Leichner? Like I never know how to pronounce that. Leichner. Their teacher did not know how to pronounce it. So as a result... Well, I mean, that stuff doesn't exist anymore. It didn't well, really need to exist then. But you can still you can still get it in chemists over here, but you have to look. The occasional little backstreet chemist will do the little pots of it. Right. But these and, were sticks, of course. Oh, was it sticks? A stick, yeah, with paper wrapped around it. And you sort of unwind the paper when it got low. And the bright, bright, bright colours, bright orange, bright 
browns and, and things. And we were taught at RADA full these stage makeouts where you'd paint lines on your face and you'd look, it looked like a, you looked like a tramway half the time. <laughs> and uh, even then it wasn't necessary because those makeouts were designed for gaslight when there wasn't much lighting. Yeah. Modern theatre, even back in the 60s, you know, theatres were modern. You didn't need all that nonsense at all, but that's what we were taught. To a point, we did, we we learned about it and we learned the history, but yeah. you've just reminded me, I always got the name of the class wrong. It was historical makeup. And every week I used to say that we're going to hysterical makeup. And I suppose it was, but I kept, every week I got the name wrong. And I was like, it's hysterical right. makeup. I suppose it is. Did they, teach you, did, they, did they teach you the little red dot in the corner of the eye? Yeah. Uh -huh. Supposedly was made your eyes sparkle. Yes. And then the, white, you know, the, the black eyeliner and the white flash in between. The, and all that stuff. And in close-ups, you know, the, the photographer who would shoot stills for the front of house, to put in the cases outside the theatre would come and take photographs. And it was ridiculous because up close, that kind of makeup does look stupid. And yet there they'd be in black and white photographs in the front of the house. Yeah. <laughs> Even like the ageing, we're going to draw some grey lines on your face because yeah. you're old. Yes, that's right, yeah. <laughs> but you're right, in a picture. In the same way that photographic makeup, in reality, you just look like a tiger. It doesn't mm. look right. But look again, right. that's half the fun, isn't it? I guess, yeah, yeah. My last theatre question, and again, it's a bit random. I do not understand why people can't watch a show for two and a half hours without eating. Can you hear people eating? Because it, it annoys me. They've, they've got Pringles now, and it's like, oh, come on, two and a half hours. <laughs> I've not experienced that. I, I've not. I've not really heard that. I've heard other things, but not eating. No, it, it, if they are eating, I don't hear it, you know? Well, I'm glad because they're almost at the stage. I was at a concert last week. The concert's on from about maybe 7 till 11. They had nachos, burgers. Like, can, right. you, not, can you not handle four hours without food? But do you think a concert might be a little different? rather than a stage production, like a, like a play, you know? I still think at a concert you should be burning calories because you're dancing instead of putting them on. Right, 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 right. But at the theatre, I've noticed, and I do think maybe some of it might be that they're bringing in revenue, but I've mm. noticed that when you go in, they have little um, bags of food now and they say, order your interval lunch now. And it's, it's not a lunch, it's just junk food. But yeah. they're saying that the interval you can have, again, it's Pringles, it's sweets, but they don't take it at the interval. They wait until the show starts. And then it's the sweets, it's the Pringles, it's the cans, but they make sure that the can is like really, it's like they shook it first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, I've never heard that. I I, I don't know, maybe it's happening now, maybe it's growing, but you know, I haven't done theatre for a while because in the book I talk about having a yes. bit of a breakdown and, and I haven't done theatre since and I, I would like to actually i'd like to have another go but i'm not in a large role i have a little tiny tiny little cameo but uh i maybe things have changed i have read about bad behavior in the theater which is surprising but it wasn't it didn't happen in my day should we say yeah i'm glad because i would be annoyed for you if yeah. i knew that all these people i do want to say to them can we just hold off on the food for two hours that's yeah. but yeah. you might not have heard it but um it was in the newspapers here that they had a theatre tour of the bodyguard and there was a massive fight in Manchester because it's, obviously people know the music. So at the very yeah, end, sure. it was the big, I will always love you. And someone yeah. started singing really badly <laughs> and someone else said, would you please, in a nice way, do you want to shut up? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they were yeah. like, why are you going to make me, you know, very, very Manchester, you're going to make me shut up? Yes, I'm going to make you shut up. And then it got into a massive fight and they had to stop the play. They had to stop. Well, it wasn't really a play, more of a musical. They had to yeah. stop it. They had to apologize. Then the stars went onto social media and they said, We're so sorry we couldn't finish the show. And it became a fist fight outside. That's amazing, isn't it? That's exciting. But that was Manchester. We wouldn't do that in Glasgow. You just give them the eye and yeah, that's yeah, it. Yeah. Don't, yeah. don't think about that. <laughs> I'm watching you. Yeah. <laughs> But I think you would be great in Edinburgh. You know, um, I've seen so many people in the Edinburgh Festival and they do like a Q&A. So every day 
they have um, and again the shows only seem to be about 40 minutes to an hour mm. and I've seen so many people that I would never have otherwise seen and someone will be the moderator and then it's like and then it's the show and at the end you get to ask your questions when I read the book I thought that'd be perfect for an Edinburgh show mm. that's mm. something you would well, ever you know, you, yeah I mean you have to be asked yeah yeah. Although nowadays, again, I think like everything with Edinburgh, it seems as if they all just seem to do their own thing now. You sort of make right. make it happen yourself. But yeah. I think Judy Dench is doing just one date this year with Giles Brandreth, but I took a look and instantly it's sold out. So yeah, sure, sure. but I think that's the kind of thing a, a QA in a theatre would be fascinating. Yeah, yeah. I think I mean, the, you know, sometimes you do these there's a there's a a couple who run a little company called Misty Moon, and they Misty. do personal appearances uh, of people. I've done a couple with them where you sit up on a stage and you answer questions and things like that. I've done a couple of those. Yes, I mean they're very nice and 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 friendly and things. Yeah, yeah. I think that would be, and it's a great way. I'd love it if they did them online though, when you can't actually get to the venue. I think because we'll happily pay for a ticket online. Yeah, sure, sure. And quite a lot of them do that. And yeah. again, just before we finish, just again, the book, I found it so interesting. There, there wasn't a single part where I didn't think that you were being really honest, sometimes too critical of yourself, I thought. But again, I suppose we all are, aren't we? Because if you're well, not... I, I don't I don't find immodesty attractive, you know. Uh, um, and, 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 you know, it's when I... <laughs> I think it's funny, actually. I think it's quite funny to 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 talk about yourself as though you were a piece of shit. Frankly, I think it's quite. I don't know why. I just think it's funnier than than boasting. You know, um, just want to try to be me amusing. I think that's a very British thing. I think. Yes, I think it is. Because have you noticed if someone pays a British person a compliment, they'll be like, "Oh, don't be stupid." But yeah. if they insult you, you're like, "What do you mean?" Yeah, yeah. Not like yeah. an insult, but don't take a compliment. Right, right, right. But, I, I, I just thought. Also, to be honest, I, in case anybody wanted to say, I always thought you were a shit actor. I, I thought, let's me say it before they do. You know. I can't imagine anyone saying that though. I just think, again, coming from someone who's not an actor, when you watch someone and you believe the role that they're in, to me, mm -hmm. that's a good actor. Yeah. yeah. I always believe. I had my share of bad reviews. You know. I mean. Oh. Uh, um, stinkers, you know, and they're then, funny. I mean, I don't. You you can't take them personally. You know, no. you have to just laugh them off and go. Well, that's your opinion. You might well be right, for heaven's sake. You know? I get that again. Completely different thing. But on YouTube, ninety percent yes. of the comments are really nice, and then occasionally, someone just must have thought, "I have, I have to tell you how rubbish you are." <laughs> yes, yes, in depth. Yeah. I love it. I love those things. Don't you love those stars reading bad things, bad uh, stars about themselves? I think it's uh -huh. terribly funny, and I love the fact that they do it. You know, and and uh, I think it's quite right. There was a wonderful book called No Turn Unstoned. Do you Is remember it that? Diane, one? Diana, Diana Rigg. Yes. All the actors and all those actors supplied their own horrible reviews because they thought they were funny. You have to have a sense of humor about bad reviews. You know? And it's after all, what the hell? You know? I want to be. Who ever built a statue to a critic? <laughs> Do you know she was our university rector? I was at Stirling University, and I'm oh. still really embarrassed. I couldn't have been the only one, but when you're going up to collect your certificate, I was so nervous that I just know it was the the hand must have been so clammy, and I was like. Sorry, but that's a great thing about being an actor. You must just be able to be like, yep, clammy hands all day. <laughs> Not nice. The one time I met her, I was like, I'm sorry. <laughs> but um, that was a thrill. I would love to read that book too. Have you read it? Yes, yes, yes. I used to, when I, when I was directing at the Academy, I was directing plays at the Academy, I would take it in. Uh, and I would say, you guys, you know, will get rotten reviews, and you mustn't take them to heart. And here's a book showing you how to deal with them. The funny, the really bad ones, you keep and you put in a scrapbook, you know, and don't get upset by them, for heaven's sake. Yeah, that's how I used it, actually. Yeah, yeah. Badge of honour, that's it. And then, I suppose the last question, just to wind this up, it's a bit of a, a random one, probably makes more sense to you. Of all the work that you've done, again, all the acting work, when you did The Return of the Saint, 
when I'm watching that, I'm obviously we see one complete episode and you don't have any regular co-stars. No. And I wondered how that was for an actor because your crew is probably your familiar faces, your anchor points. Is it no different having no regular co-star to build up a dynamic or is it a completely different thing? It, 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 it's, it's what I remind people when they say, uh, uh, that was a fun, nice, easy job for you. I say, you know, how many shows do you know where you are the only protagonist? The only other one I remember was Angela Lansbury's Murder, She Wrote, yeah. where uh-huh. she was by herself, you know? Um, and, and I did a few of those with her uh, over here. Um, but yes, you're on your own, which means your workload is double. Yeah. When you've got a sidekick, half the dialogue belongs to him or her. Mm-hmm. But when you're on your own, all of it's yours, which means you've got double the workload in terms of the lines. You've got double the workload in terms of the action. And of course, but also it's actually very nice because it's all about you. (laughs) You know, you don't have to share it with anybody. It's all about you. So from that point of view, it it was, I enjoyed it very much, of course, but it was harder work than some people have. Yeah. I can imagine. And uh, I, I'm guessing that it wasn't filmed in sequence, but when they're showing it on a loop here, so I can't deny I've got it on series link. And even when it goes back to the first episode, I just start watching it again. I just find it so enjoyable. I'll well, I tell the book, I tell the story in the book about meeting Elaine Stritch, the great American Broadway star, who said she was a wonderfully blunt woman. And it, and she said to me, I just been watching your show, kid. My God, it, what a god-awful show that is. I said, You're just awful. She said, but I gotta tell you something. You got better and better and better all the way through it. And towards the end, I was really liking the show. I thought you were great. So you must have got better. And I said to Miss Stritch, the shows were not shown in the order they were filmed. So all that happened is I didn't get any better. You got worse or your judgment got worse. Which I thought was quite funny, but she didn't believe me. She said, I can't believe that's true. I said, no, they were, they were not shown in the order they were filmed. Completely random order they were shown. Yeah, I wondered that because episode one, though, it looked as if you might have your, your team that you go back to. I wondered at the beginning if it was going to be like the persuaders where you go back to base and you speak to your boss. Oh, right. And that was only one episode. Yeah. I yeah. thought at one point, I was like, oh, I wonder if they were going to have, like, you go back. Right. Discuss yes. how the assignment went. But I was like, no. But then I thought it was probably not filmed in sequence. No, so, not filmed in sequence. Yeah, no. exactly. We but, shot all, all the scenes, all the ones in the south, shot in the south of France. We shot first. Then we came back to England for a bit. Then we all went off to Italy and we did all the Italian ones. And we came back to England and finished off. And so, but they chopped them up. So one minute, one week, you'd have a French episode. Then you'd have an Italian one. Then you'd have an English one. You know. So they were shown completely out of speaking. Yeah. yeah. And again, upstairs, downstairs, ripping yarns where you were the school bully. That was hilarious. All these things, just so enjoyable. Honestly, I've got more films to watch, so I'm working my way through them. I'm going to thoroughly enjoy I know I'm going to enjoy all of them. I know there's some you might not enjoy, but I know I'll enjoy them. Because <laughs> you said in the book, you're like, there's some of them. You're like, no. Yeah. Oh, yes. I, I've made more rotten films than anybody, probably. I probably hold the record for the bad movies I made. <laughs> I don't believe you. But well, me and Michael Caine, because Michael Caine has never been known to turn a movie down, you know. So there's that wonderful thing he said about Jaws 4 or whatever it was he was in, Jaws 4 or 5. He was asked if he'd ever seen the film. He said, no, I haven't, but I've seen the house it built. <laughs> See, you know? that's, yeah. that's yeah. a good response. I like that. He said, he, Michael Caine said, it's ridiculous turning jobs down. You never know when the next one's going to come. And, uh, you know, he always did everything, which I always thought was a good philosophy, really. Yeah. And not being an actor, I've always remembered that thing when he says about your eyes don't blink all the time. And I actually try my best when I'm recording something for YouTube not to constantly blink all the time. And that's just nothing to do with acting. But I remember Michael Caine saying, quit the blink. Yeah. I know he didn't say quit the blinking, but <laughs> maybe a little bit more finesse than that. But I thought, yeah, I, I actually better make an attempt to stop doing that so often. Yeah. So. Us non-actors do pick up some tips. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> but it's been a real pleasure speaking to you. And I, I do hope that there are more books. And just in case anyone hasn't seen them, so thoroughly recommend Loose Chippings, the memoir, and 
I'm going to give your uncle a plug again because that was yeah, 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 yes. My late that uncle book for years late. did not connect the two. Yes, it's a fascinating book. I tell you a story about that. Um, the the book the, the big book he wrote was called Confessions of an Advertising Man. It was the first book he wrote, and he made the terrible mistake of giving it to his son as a twenty first birthday present. The royalties. My cousin lived off that book for about five years, skiing every winter, swanning around the south of France every summer. My uncle was furious, but he'd given it to his son, all the royalties. It became a bestseller, that book. He never thought it would. He thought a few advertising people would buy it. No, everybody bought that one. <laughs> it just goes to show. Well, yeah. I am, honestly, I can now say I'm a fan of the Ogilvy family rather than just a single member because there's a lot of talent in your family. So I do oh. hope that there are more books and I look forward, I do hope there are more films too yeah, and so too. I'll put some links in the descriptions about where I got the books from too and it's That'd been be a lovely. real pleasure so thank you so much thank you Elaine that was very pleasant thank you thank you all right bye-bye now